You join me here on my perch at the far end of the bar. Good evening. How are you? I'm all right, sir. Thank you very much you're for looking returning. Very, now, let me get the, oh, look. Yes, you are look. Sometimes when we sit here mm. in our weekly kind of get together, mm-hmm. I feel sorry for our listeners. Oh. Because they can't see just how good looking oh, you are. Right. Well, yeah, I have adjusted the lightning. Not the lightning. I have adjusted the lighting. So to accentuate my already, uh, uh, I can't think of a word. No, neither can suitable I. here. But when you're adjusting the lightning, do you know the I, word I'm... that came to my head was bovine? <laughs> what? <laughs> my already bovine features. I was I was paying close attention to your um, to your chin because you're mm. a man who can can grow a beard in an afternoon. Yeah, it doesn't take long. It it re- you, I mean if you go. You've got a full beard, haven't you? Yeah. You've got a full Captain Haddock going on. And, and, a, and a full nappy. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you see, yeah, I, I don't know. Yours have is to... good. Yours is looking good. Well, yes, salt and pepper. Whereas you, yeah. you've got the full, you know. You know salt. You, well, <laughs> just... yeah. You've got, yes. <laughs> when they salt the road, they come around and just trim a bit off your beard, don't they? Yeah. yeah. There's a picture that my, uh, when I was 40... Uh, no, 44, which is only four and a half years ago, nearly five years ago now. Mm. Um, my boy did a, like a collage thing for me as my birthday present. Yeah. Um, and it, it featured a picture of me with a beard, all dark brown, only five years ago. And oh, look at it now. Look at it now. Yeah. Uh, this reminds me of the time I was doing the early morning show on uh, Radio Bristol mm-hmm. between five and six, and um, Pete listening, uh, Pete listening for Milkman. Yeah, and um, this is a very embryonic uh, stage of my broadcasting career, and I decided it would be a good idea to launch a feature called Beard Watch, <laughs> and uh, every morning I updated the listener on how the beard growing. This was long, long before there was any recourse to to pictures on anything that would be called the internet in the future, Mm -hmm. which was a very convoluted way of saying no internet, no pictures, just you describing your beard. Yeah. And at the end of the week, I was called into the manager's office Yeah, uh, to see how my first week presenting solo had gone. Mm Mm-hmm. And You're uh, not going to tell me that the the manager got up at four o'clock in the morning to listen to you. No, someone someone had told him, so yeah, he'd listened right. to the rot, as we used to call it, the recording of transmission, and uh, and so he, we had a little chat, and then he said, "Now, talk me through beard watch, Ben." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, no, it's not going to go so well. I, I was trying to tell uh, dear old Ken Bruce, mm. Ken Bruce, how are you? Uh, Ken Bruce um, has left the BBC mm. uh, last week. As we record this last week, uh, Ken said, well, that's it. I'm off now. And um, I remembered that I'd been on an early morning sports shift at the BBC Mm -hmm. in my brief tenure as sports reporter Mm. on local radio, which which lasted about six months. And only because they didn't have a sports reporter, not because I had any uh, inkling what the hell I was doing. But... um, you get up at four o'clock in the morning and you had to go in and prepare a sports bulletin. And in those days, you, you'd listen to Radio 2 on the way in. And usually it was the great Ray Moore who long ago left us. 
Um, but Ray was a very dry character, and I, I enjoyed Ray. And uh, he went on holiday, and uh, up popped this Chippy Scott. Mm. Hello, Cam Bruce here on Radio 2. And uh, the very first day that he was on, Wogan, who was doing the breakfast show, mm. was late. Ah. So Ken Bruce had to keep on going until... Ter- no one mentioned this oh. at all. Maybe no one... Perhaps they were all listening to Beardwatch. <laughs> it's unlikely. No one, no one mentioned it. I thought it was a great story. You know, I just remember of listening. And poor old Ken had to keep going and keep going. Well, that's it for me. Over to Terry now. No. Yeah. He's not in. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Well, in those days, that's what would happen. You'd just keep going until somebody arrived. That was a lovely story, and I very much enjoyed it. And I think it would have been even better if you'd have done some impressions of Ken Bruce. Yes, indeed. Of that random Scottish player. Whoever that person was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, today, uh, <laughs> as we record, mm. there's quite a bit of stuff about Gary Lineker. Yes. In the press, on the front pages. Mm. Uh, slagging him off for um, standing up for people, as far as I can see. Yeah. Um, but... <laughs> But uh, one of the government ministers said that uh, he should get a red card. (sighs) Now, this was said on the radio as my daughter walked through the kitchen. Mm -hmm. And she turned around to me and said, a red car? Why would he get a red car? I said, no, it's a red... And then we had a conversation about, wouldn't it be fun if, instead of a red card, footballers got a little red car. Yeah. So at the point at which a tremendously bad foul happens, meep, meep, yeah. on comes this tiny little red car <laughs> and out get 12 clowns and they bundle him into the red car. Squirt meep, water meep. out of the daffodils. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and comb his hair with one of those enormous great big combs, right, three feet long. Custard pies. Absolutely. <laughs> Do that to his nose and everything. And then take him off. I think, I think my daughter is onto something here. I think so. They should get her on the FA board and uh, make Don't sure that idea goes all the way through. That would make the game a, a whole lot better. You mentioned that to real football, what you call the hardened football uh, supporter, the sort of person who phones in to um, 606 mm. on Radio 5. Like, have you listened to that lately? Uh, I've <laughs> got to be honest. I love um, 5 Live on a Saturday. Sports Report is still one of my highlights of the week, but six, uh, 506 or 605, <laughs> I'm turning the thing off. I can't be doing with it. Well, I've I've been in the position where I've been in the car because I've been doing a run on a on a, a, a run to the station on the, on a Sunday evening. Uh, and it, it's, it's terrible. Yeah. It's just the funniest, most terrible thing. But it, my point is that on a phone-in like that, if I, if you and I went on and said, look, instead of a red card, let's have a little red card. And we had a little bit of fun with it. Oh, mm. my goodness. We'd be piled on. How dare <laughs> you suggest such things? How well, dare you bring humour into it? These days, when uh, old... Um... Danny Baker... And yeah, and Danny Kelly were, were yeah, doing it back yeah. in the day. They might have run with that for a week or two, oh. mightn't they? Uh, and of yes. course, um, Bedir and Skinner yes. on uh, on the fantasy football, fantasy they'd football have league, run for yeah. that, I think. So, I think yeah. there's a, it was always. I, I don't tend to go to see the live matches anymore. I'm very much a 
a supporter who sits on the sofa mm. and um, dunks my biscuits. Yeah. <laughs> Not See a that, euphemism. He's he's a dunker. <laughs> <laughs> As I watch my sport. Uh, but in those days, there were, then I did go, and you'd stand on the terrace. There was a lot of banter. Always enjoyed mm. that. Always mm. enjoyed the banter. There was a lot of good humour around as well. Uh, and uh, I always thought that, you know, that there was part of it, but it, it's missing from yeah. the television presentation of sport. You want a bit of a laugh, don't you? Not just the panel having a punt at each other. That gets a bit yeah. old. They do. They do need a bit of brevity, I think, especially when it's like Roy Keane and Graham Souness, and then Gary Neville and uh, Jamie Callagher turns up. <laughs> I mean, it's like, come on now, fellas. Oh, come Seriously. on! You, you, sports supposed to be fun, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is the this is the great thing about Test match special. Mm. Cricket's foremost uh, broadcast, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the, the commentators. And the experts there leave the television people uh, in the dust, yeah. nowhere to be seen behind them, because they're having a laugh. And that's what you well, mind. That's what you do if you play cricket. You have a laugh from the even even if it, everything is going to hell mm. out on the pitch. You have a laugh in the pavilion. You should do. You? That was what was great about the recent series. That last game in New Zealand when uh, England lost. I was going to say on the last ball. Obviously, but that's normally what happens. Yeah, um, right. yeah. <laughs> but you know, they needed what they need one to win or two yes, to win, and yeah, Jimmy well. Anderson um, feathered one behind and uh, walked off smiling. Yeah. What a wonderful thing, right? Yeah. And then and Ben Stokes was saying, "Well, you know, obviously we'd have preferred to win, but uh, just to have been able to take part in the, in a sporting occasion like that is, yeah, uh, what a is great part game. of the thrill. What so, a great game! What a great game! Absolutely." Yeah. So, uh, and I uh, highly recommend as well, uh, the name of the podcast has temporarily escaped me, but um, it's the one with Greg James and Jimmy Anderson's on it as well. Okay. Um, uh, that's a fantastic listen every week or whatever, however often they do it. So look that one up yep. if you're a cricket fan or even if you're not actually, a bit like TMS. You don't have to be a cricket fan to enjoy that podcast. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Terrific. Um. I've got a story which which I was reminded of the other day when um, my wife was looking for some jewellery. Mm. I was reminded of a story um, which involved uh, the late Lenny Bennett, who was a big comedian on television in the 80s. Yeah, Lenny back Bennett, of, I remember the yeah, name. Back end of the 70s, 80s, possibly into the early 90s, Lenny Bennett you know, would pop up on television on a number of different shows. Had his own show for a little while. Uh, they used to do a thing called International Cabaret, and uh, then it became the Lenny and mm. Jerry show. Lenny Bennett and Jerry Stevens, who were kind of put together as a, a, as a double act, uh, although they weren't really a double act, but they mm. kind of did a double act on TV. Anyway, Lenny Bennett told a wonderful story about um, a, a, some jewellery that he bought for his wife when he went... To Hong Kong, right? Went out there to do some, uh, do some shows, and uh, had a wander around the markets, and uh, saw this saw this pendant. Caught his eye, and he thought, "That's what I'm going to take home for the missus." And he did. He bought it, and he took it home, and um, she wore it for several years. Um, <laughs> and on you know occasions, it was it was it was a. Um, it was a pendant that uh, caught the eye, and right. she enjoyed wearing it with, you know, when she dressed up, 
she would put this thing on. So anyway, they go to a do. And after the do, they go into a Chinese restaurant. Mm-hmm. And um, there's quite a big table. It's quite, you know, there's quite a lot of them there. Okay. Um, and everybody's having a laugh, and it's great. It's a big showbiz thing. So when the waiter comes over to the table, he keeps laughing. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when he went anywhere near Lenny Barrett's wife. So they started to notice this. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Yeah, at the table. I mean, you know, it was a, <laughs> you know, it was one of those giggly little laughs, the hand in front of the face, <laughs> and off he'd scurry. Right. So eventually, you know, this was brought to Lenny's attention, and uh, he thought, well, you know, this is uh, something's going on here. What is going on? So, so he left the table. He went to see the manager. He said, "Every time your waiter comes over to the table, anywhere near my wife." He laughs. Why? And the manager said, ah, well, you know, he's, he's, he's a very likeable, laughable kind of... He's, no, no, there's a reason why. He said, well, um, it's the pendant. He said, what, what? Oh, yes, I guess I got it for her in Hong Kong. He said, yeah, uh, it's, right. the, 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 it's got some... You don't, you don't read Chinese writing, do you? Uh, he said, no. Why? He said the pendant says, official prostitute. <laughs> Whoops. You've got to be careful, haven't you? I mean, that is that is terribly bad luck there, isn't it? Oh, it is terribly bad luck. But, you know, you, 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 if you are going to buy something, uh, whether it's in French, Spanish, German, if you don't speak the language, you don't mm. know. It's like if you were given a phrase... And we've both been there broadcasting when someone utters a phrase in a foreign language and you don't know what they're saying. Yeah. Because you don't speak the language. Hmm. And they could be saying anything at all. I would never read anything out. And it would have to be phonetically for me because I don't speak another language. I barely speak English. Hmm. But I don't speak another uh, another language. And if anybody else is, is uttering something, I mean, there are the stock phrases that you that we all know, but you know, if somebody goes off on one in a foreign language, how do you know what they're saying? Yeah. Uh, no and, idea. Uh, <laughs> this is now reminding me of um, a program which was—I'm not going to identify it—but the program that was broadcast in a foreign language on the BBC, mm-hmm. and uh, this 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 program had been going for years, and the producer was a woman who didn't speak. The language, and she'd been charged <laughs> with producing the program and also editing the program. Well, of course. Now, I don't know how. Who better to do that? You than... can edit a pre recorded program for time, cutting out bits when the program is in a different language, but she did. And she was at a, she was at a do, and somebody said, you don't speak whatever the language was. I'm, I'm not going to be specific about this. You don't. She said no. She said, um, but you know, I, I get some help. They say, well, cut it there, around about there, and give, they give me some time codes and things. Uh, he said it's not the language. It's, it's the fact that most weeks the chap who presents it spends at least ten minutes advertising his restaurant. <laughs> Brilliant. 
Which is great, isn't it? <laughs> and you would, wouldn't you? Once you'd worked, you worked out you got away with it once. Yeah, we'd be like, well, week, brilliant. Just slip it into the conversation. Ten minutes of crime BBC airtime. <laughs> well, now, which is worse, do you think? Um, a pendant that says official prostitute or one that says unofficial <laughs> prostitute? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a tough one, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think before, uh, in the dim and distant past, we've talked about you going scuba diving, or at least snorkelling, right? Yes. Well, well, both, yes. You've done a bit of both? A little bit oh. of both. Only a tiny, tiny little bit of scuba diving. And was that, that was in honeymoon? The... Yes, it was. And it, that That's was in the hotel pool. Oh. We never actually got out onto the high seas. We weren't snorkelling, and that was great. Yeah. Loved that. Enjoyed that. Mm. But the but the scuba diving only happened in the uh, hotel pool, and then for whatever reason, the weather was bad or something. When the day we were supposed to go out diving in the sea, okay, so it you never made happen. it. For why Can't... do you mention this? Well, I was wondering if I might be able to tempt you with the prospect of a dive in the northwestern Pacific Ocean, um, specifically uh, on the uh, or off, I should say, the northern Mariana Islands. Um, a Commonwealth of the USA, don't you know? Right. I didn't even know the USA had Commonwealths. Yes. Apparently they do. Yes. This is 8,000 miles from New York. And um, specifically, I was going to invite you to dive uh, down to the Daikoki Seamount. Because? Because it's an underwater volcano. Oh. And who wouldn't want to dive down to one of those? Well. I hear you ask. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's two thousand one hundred and eighty meters high, and the peak is still three hundred and twenty-three meters beneath the surface of the water. So obviously, you know, practically, you wouldn't be able to dive there. That's too deep, yeah. And you'd get the bends, yeah. And uh, and then that would be the end of you. You'd be a. What happens when you get the bends? Is that when the oxygen gets in the blood? Yeah, yeah. That's that's why you have to decompress in those mm. decompression chambers when you come up. And you turn to jelly. Oh, it, it's not nice. It's horrible. It's not pleasant. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's not dwell on that. But the other reason why, even if you could invent yourself a diving suit that would safely get you all the way down there, you'd get down and you'd be thinking to yourself, what is that awful smell? Could you it, smell yeah. something underwater? Absolutely. I think you would be able to smell this. And I'll tell you for why. There are not one, but two craters on this particular volcano. And they discovered a few years ago that they are both filled with boiling sulphur. Oh, blimey. Can you imagine that? The, I mean, the the, yeah, just imagine for a second, you spent all that effort to get all the way down there, and then you realise, what's that? A sulphur bubbling? central. Oh. Well, you, so, you, you, you'd, you'd notice the smell, the whiff. From from away, can you smell under? The, the, this is the thing that's now getting me. Can you smell underwater? Well, for the purposes of this story, yes, you can. Right. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't. I don't think you can normally, unless you're in your own suit and you've had a, a curry oh, before right. you go down. <laughs> you might be able to smell the natural after effect of that. The curry. natural sulphur. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. But there apparently there is like wildlife uh, managing to live around these craters. Um, they've just uh, recently discovered anemones living on tentacles or fondrils of um, various sea vegetation down there. So, you know, just goes to show, even in that must be one of the most inhospitable places on Earth, that deep underwater with boiling sulphur, 
that regularly erupts and still some sort of life manages to cling on. Now, it's amazing, I'm right isn't it? I'm thinking that, that I don't know the correct scientific... We need a Brian Cox here or a, a Robin Ince or somebody to well, get to. I, I, I don't know why you're worried. I mean, we'll comfortably have this covered between us, oh, whatever right, the okay. subject is. Well, there are uh, no, these... these um, under, <laughs> uh, apart from the volcano, which you so brilliantly described there, um, our sulfurous friend, mm. um, which sounds huge and... 323 metres? That's the peak of it, is that is 323 metres beneath the Yeah, surface. and then you go further down until you get to the base. Yeah. Deep those oceans. Mm. But there are these... Um, uh, now, I want to call them hot springs, but they're not called hot springs. There are these pockets of, of, of hot water mm. which come out from the, from the bottom of the ocean, and that's where they think all life began. Mm-hmm. Because that's where the the conditions, when you know, the uh, planet Earth was an extremely inhospitable place, generally speaking, that was the one place where conditions to produce the beginnings of life. Like the, these are the very early, you know, the very earliest um, cells and creatures that became that yeah. come from the cells, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's right. Yeah. See, we're, now we're we're fascinated, and we can't go any further because neither of us have the knowledge to, t to take this conversation further on. Except I think we've covered that with our usual in-depth... Yes, uh, we don't, yes, skim the surface, never go too far down. Don't go more than 300 metres down. Oh, no, no, no. But I once asked my father where life began. He said, well, your life began behind the co-op. <laughs> Whether there were hot springs there or not, I don't know. There was hot something... <laughs> Um, no. Monopoly. Yeah. Oh, God. I do not, play? Your, not your game for you. Do you like any board games? Well, we don't play any board games. Let's put it that way. Um, okay. I have board games in my past. Mm -hmm. um, I used to like playing Trivial Pursuit, I suppose, when we were, when we were kids. I, I only remember we, we had Jigsaws and um, Ludo. Ludo, yeah. Snakes and Ladders. And Monopoly. Monopoly mm. was the big game. Everybody wanted to have Monopoly, and all yeah. the adults played Monopoly, and the kids weren't allowed anywhere near it. So, so what provoked your negative reaction when because, I said the word Monopoly? I, because Monopoly goes on forever, and no one yeah. ever wins. Mm. Well, or they do win, and then everyone else gets extremely frustrated. I've never been there. I've and never it, been to the end. That's like getting to the end of Coronation Street. What happens in the end? I have no idea. But Monopoly has an end that you've played to the end? I've, I've played to the end. I mean, it took hours. And, uh, you know, it was the end of at least one good friendship. <laughs> and I think that's the other issue with it. It, it, it does, you know, cause, cause arguments, doesn't it? It's yes, well known, it does. right? Yeah. So I, even more ironic then, uh, or uh, around our way, ironical, um, that it was actually uh, developed from a game that was initially intended to promote socialism and the idea that people could get on playing board games and um it was invented this initial game yeah. by a lady called elizabeth uh, mcgee i think that's how you pronounce her surname in 1903 um, described in this article uh, as a bold progressive woman uh, who invented the game initially 
uh, as I say, to try and promote the idea that, um, you know, you could uh, roll dice, buy up properties and work together to build an empire. And everybody won when everybody in the game had enough property and money to make sure they'd be comfortable for the rest of their lives. Ah, oh. And then from that developed this rather more capitalist version of the game that we know today, where the idea is to wipe out everybody else and be the one that ends up with all the property and all the money. Yeah. Did she wander around the streets of New York? Because the the, the original American game, uh, I mean, in the UK, obviously, we have a, a, a London-centric uh, Monopoly board. Mm. Um, did she wander around the, the streets of New York uh, and dividing up the different areas, putting them together? I think that was that that was what happened, wasn't it? I think it was. She was in Washington D.C. Oh, okay, um, but then it was some. So from what I can gather, um, they they never wrote down the rules. It was just kind of passed from family to family. That's that's and, pretty much how we play it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever read the rules. Well, it's in the rules. Who's read the? Who's got the rules? Oh, I don't know. We lost the rules years ago. So then uh, it got to this man called um, Charles Darrow, yeah, who was playing it with. Oh, um, he's he's the famous Monopoly guy, isn't he? Right, he's the one who made all the money from it. Right, but he, he wasn't. He didn't invent it. Ah. So um, they play. He was playing with friends, Charles Todd, um, and his wife Olive. I've been introduced Todd. to the yeah. I've been introduced to the game um, by the inventor. They were playing it with this um, with the Darrows one uh, one evening, and then they played it a few more times. And then Darrow asked Todd to write down the rules, so he did. And then Darrow took those rules, designed a board, and sold it ah. to um, what was it? Wood uh, Waddington's. Games Waddington's. Yeah. And then he became so again, was it ironically a millionaire. Olive Todd's charm bracelet that provided all of the little like the top hat and the Scotty dog and the battleship because that's that's where all that came from. Ooh. Somebody's charm bracelet. Oh, I don't know about that bit. I'll have to uh, do a bit more digging and get. Well, don't back bring to me half a story. Either know it or don't. This is. This is a, this is typical of you. You just isn't said, it? literally minutes ago, you said, "Don't dive too deep; just skim the surface." <laughs> and that's that is exactly what I provided for you. Surface and skimmer. all of a sudden, it's not good enough. <laughs> he, he likes life as a pebble skimming across a still lake. <laughs> uh, anyway, well. <sighs> <sighs> I'm glad you enjoyed that story. We've, yeah. we've got, um, <laughs> before I go, I've got to tell you this. We've got, uh, we've got a new electric toothbrush. Mm. Not much of a story. But if you put it on charge at night, it emanates a blue light. Yeah. You can see this blue light from behind a closed door. What? If if the door to the bathroom is closed, there blue light. I don't know how it does this, but it wraps under the door through the. I mean, I'm not being funny, mate, but you need a new door. No, well, we probably do a thicker but it, one, but that's it's been like, fitted properly. But it's like there's some <laughs> kind of alien in there, 
And even when you're asleep, you're aware that there is a blue light emanating. If you, if you cast your mind back to Close Encounters of the Third Kind, when the little boy is playing with his... Uh, it, it, he's woken up and there's, all of his toys downstairs are going bananas and mm. Johnny Mathis starts playing Chances Are on the, on the radiograph and the whole thing starts shaking and there's this tremendous light. It's like that. Mm. Uh, and it, I go in there expecting to find like an alien. <laughs> no, and it's just a toothbrush. And there's just a toothbrush. <laughs> every night you're like, hey, oh. there's an alien. And every <laughs> night Mrs. Lewis like, oh, for God's sake. A bloody toothbrush again. Go and turn it off. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. We've, we, this is territory we've been over before because I've said it before and I'll say it again. Stop inventing things. <laughs> Please. I, I just need a toothbrush. <laughs> That cleans my teeth. Yeah. I don't need one that keeps me up at night. I don't need one that emanates a blue alien light. I think the problem is here that you're blaming the wrong thing. What am I... What, what should I be blaming? You should be blaming the ill-fitted door that's too thin. That's what you should be blaming. Carpenters. <laughs> we'll do that next time. In the meantime... I'll bid you a reservoir. I'm off. You have to get the chips. Yeah, I have to get the chips. I'll see you next time. Toodle pip. Cheers. That's time at the far end of the bar. You've been listening to Richard Lewis and Ben Orr. Find the fellas on all the socials. Just search hashtag TFEOTB or send them an email. It's thefarendofthebar at gmail.com. Most importantly, spread the word. Tell your friends and enemies, colleagues and family about this amazing podcast you've been listening to. We'll love you forever. Forever.